Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, Yerdena Azband, our daf of the day, Masachet Yevamot, daf Sadi Aleph, page 91. So I want to talk about a piece here on Ahmed Aleph that cites the Mishnah, and it, and it's relevant, but what the case of the Mishnah is. But then we get into a whole, like, I don't know, spat, I would call it, between the rabbis. Nisei Chilo Birshut, this is a case, right, where the if a woman would mar- married um, a second husband, and she did, meaning the first husband has gone to Medinat Hayam, they don't know where he is, he, there's testimony that he is dead, she then marries a second man, and the second marriage, according to this case of Mishnah, right, this is where she is married without the consent of the court, meaning um, married without the consent of the court, and then because of that, because stipulated that she can marry the second man, she is permitted to return to her first husband. And that's considered acceptable, right? That's that's the psaq. Amarav Huna Amarav Hachi Hilchata. And in case you weren't sure that this was the psaq, Rav Huna says that Rav said is the halacha, meaning that's a very definitive statement. Uh, we don't often see it, you know, the Amarim stipulating or or taking a stance, this is the halacha. Amarle Rav Nachman, so Rav Nachman says to him, Ganava Ganuve Lamalach. Why did you steal? Right? You're what you're you're a thieving thief. Why are you being a thieving thief? Um, meaning you is the the point any actual physical theft, but this idea that he stated his opinion in what the Gemara here is presenting in like a, a roundabout or a sneaky kind of way. Meaning, if you think that this is a halacha, then that means that you're upholding the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. And if you're upholding the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, then you say halacha is like Rabbi Shimon. Not this is the halacha. You're leaving Rabbi Shimon out of it. Right? And that's considered, or of Nachman's point here is like, that's that's not okay. That's a sneaky way of presenting the halacha. With the psaac you know it to be, namely the psaac of Rabbi Shimon. And if you want to say... Um, so the Gemara says, or again, this is again to to refine the statement that Rav Huna said that Rav said that this is the halacha. You want to say that this is the opinion of Rabbi Shimon? So say if you if you are concerned that saying the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon, and that would mean that you agree with him even in the first case, namely that a married woman who marries a second person on the basis of that one witness, which was Rabbi Shimon's position. And maybe you don't agree with him in that case. So then you say the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon in in the second case or in the last case, meaning you don't have to say, I agree with Rabbi, the halacha is like Rabbi Shimon in every arena, but just this specific case, but still give Rabbi Shimon his credit. And so then the Gemara says straight up, Kasha, it's difficult why Rav Huna didn't state that Rav stated right. It's, why didn't Rav Huna include Rabbi Shimon in this um, presentation of the halacha? Fine, meaning we understand the rebuke. We understand the psaq. Amar of Sheshet, Amina Hinaim v'Shachiv Rav Amarala Hashemaita. So Rav Sheshet says, I say that what happened was Rav was dozing, and as he was falling asleep, he said this halacha. Meaning, it's not that Rav like examined it in all the different directions and lined himself up with Rav Shimon and so on. 
right? But that he he said it like kind of more off the cuff um, because it wasn't an immediate case at hand, it seems to be, that he's like theorizing on the halacha. And then the Gemara goes on, halacha anasa. So what that means is that from the very fact that the that Rav um, issued a psaq, right? So then it stands to reason that not everybody agreed with him, that there are others who would disagree with him, but there's no real dispute. So like, you know, because what's the, what's this case supposed to happen? What's supposed to happen to this woman, right? Uh, it, it says, anasa. it says, if he raped her, meaning, what does it mean as if he raped her? Uh, you know, in to modern ears, at least in my modern ears, that sounds like a really different situation than the situ than whether he goes back whether she goes back to the original husband because the court didn't say that she could marry the first the second husband. So rather, what's going on? Because she had testimony that the first husband was dead, she had no reason not to remarry. So then going back to the so then the question is what's you know, is is she considered a willing partner here or not, right, to go back to the first husband? Um, and the fact that she didn't, so the the stipulation here is that her lack, the fact that she doesn't know really enough of the information, namely that he's not dead, right, makes it not a full choice on her behalf. Meaning maybe she would have stayed with her first husband if she had known that he was alive. Presumably she would have, right? So the claim here is that she's like a raped woman, not that she is a raped woman, but that because she didn't have all the details, she didn't, she wasn't able to make a full choice. And because she wasn't able to make a full choice, then it's a, a comparable to rape. And the same way that a rape victim can go back to her husband. So too, um, this woman can go back to the first husband, which is, I think a little bit of fancy footwork to get there, um, to claim that this woman is akin or has anything in common with a woman who is raped. But um, but the goal here is really to uh, allow her to go back to the first husband. So I understand why the fancy footwork is why they're doing this. Um, okay, but, but I think uh, but, some of this fancy footwork is that like they, they want to land, so they right, make it, sure they land there. <laughs> that's that's what they're doing here. Yes, I think so. I think that's exactly it. And so the the gemara here is pretty terse. I mean, Anis Anasa, it just says like, you know, it's she's like rape. And you're like, wait, what? Until you can like use your thumbs or the commentaries provide the thumbs for you to explain what's really going on. The the goal, I think, is dictating, you know, why is it that that the psak is that she can go back to the first husband? And the answer is, well, let's figure that out. Why is it that she can go back to the first husband? So the that's the goal. Um, the Gemara goes on here. And part of what happens is, you know, it discusses, you know, when do you not require a divorce to split up a marriage? And when do you, you know, and what about the case, in fact, of the, the woman who was told by the court that she could remarry and then she can't go back to the first husband, right? Doesn't she need a divorce and so on? Um, and it goes, again, it comes back to the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, who, of course, is, you know, very clear, clearly prominent in the initial discussion. Um, but I'm going to stop here and hand this over to you, Yordana. Um, I just what I particularly found interesting was uh, about the passage that I re read. In addition to the the halachic discussion about why it is that she can go back to her husband and so on, I think it's also just this idea that Rav was like dozing and gave the psak, but everybody thinks you have to line it up with Rabbi Shimon, but not too much if you don't fully like the the rabbis talking about 
how they need to talk, I think is always interesting. That it gives us a window into the life of the yeshiva, so to speak, uh, as opposed to just the bottom line of uh, halacha. All right, so I'm going to move on that, uh, you know, there's a whole discussion here about this opinion of Rav, that Rav basically says that, uh, you know, that the rabbis and uh, Rabbi Shimon would uh, would agree with each other in this case about a woman who remarries based on two witnesses' testimony. And Rav Sheshas doesn't necessarily, well, basically rejects Rav's statement about this. Um, and, you know, and there's this concept basically of Havla Lema'ave, right? That there's nothing else that this woman could have done. She had two witnesses. What else could she have done? And so they present basically a series of six challenges to this. I want to read the first challenge. Uh, where we do see cases where the rabbis actually do penalize a woman uh, and they don't invoke this Havla Lema'ave, right? That they couldn't have done something. And I thought the first one, the first challenge that brought by Ula was actually very interesting. Matzi Ula. So Rav Ula brings a challenge and says, Do we really use this argument of what else could she have done? And therefore, this would be a situation where we wouldn't penalize a woman for adultery because she basically committed it. Right? And Vahatsanan. So he quotes a Mishnah here. And this is a Mishnah basically that we'll later see in, uh, that will and then again, this is the first of six, you know, sort of challenges uh, to Rav Sheshes, uh that that the Gemara is going. Right. So let's say you have a scribe who writes a get, and he does the get according to what basically literally means the reign of an unworthy kingdom. So here, what they're talking empire, right? Um, and that essentially they get they get uh you know rabbis basically said that you would when you dated a get you could date it according to the local um local marking but the mishnah here is about a get that's written in eretz and they have been dated to the jewish calendar the reason described who wrote this particular get dates it according to the roman calendar okay or according to the Kingdom of Medea, Lishem Machuyaban, or according to the Kingdom of Greece, Livinian Habayit, or since the of Banabayit, or since the destruction of the temple, right? Instead of like using the date that counts the years since the local monarch, let's say, he uses the date of the temple, right? Hayabim Yisrach Katabim Arath, if he was in the east, wrote the get that they were in the west, Bimarath. Or he wrote that they were in the west, in the west, but really they were in the east. In all these cases, if she remarried, because basically the get is really defective. It's not a good get. It wasn't appropriately. She must leave uh, now. She has to leave her first husband, second husband. And all of these ways uh, apply to her. So these ways basically refer to all the penalties that we have that she's essentially penalized for this adultery that she did, even though it was inadvertent. Get. And it turns out the get, you know, that something about the get was not written correctly. And so again, they use this as an example of the Amai. Why would she be penalized, right? Like, it's it's a good get. 
right? Can we uh, fun, right? She basically she had a get that was written through she thought that the get was good. Why would she think the court was not the get wasn't good? Now, part of what's interesting to me about this case is, is like, you know, how did she at what point did she actually figure out or who actually bothers to look at the get care way after the get is married to basically figure get is and so the Gemara gives a fat what I find to be a fascinating answer because it actually assumes an amount of literacy I think we would assume that women would have and it's Akre Lakita. She basically should have read her get to make sure that it was a valid get. I found this to be mind blowing because I actually would assume that women being illiterate, I mean there were men who were illiterate, right? Was pretty common in these and yet it's basically saying that there's a huge onus on the woman that she is sure that her get is written correctly, which also therefore would assume that a woman would know how getting had to be written. So I, I, I can't understand exactly what the Gemara is answering here, that she is responsible for writing for reading it, because to me that means she has to have she has to be able to read. She had to have access to the get itself. That I, I think probably could have been true. But more importantly, that she understood what the correct way was to write a get. I don't know where she would have gotten that information from. So, Anne, I don't know. I was blown away by this by this particular mishnah. Um, I don't have a, a direct answer for that. But I do think that part of what we see here is um, the desire, the very concentrated desire to help this woman, enable this woman get on with her life, right? The fact that her husband is presumed dead, we've got testimony. We don't say, the Gemara doesn't say like, well, she married once and it's she doesn't have like an active experience of his death. So she, too bad for her. She is, you know, a living widow for the rest of, like a, it, it, the Gemara, the Halacha is allow not just allowing right like pushing for her to be able to move on so yes it it depends on a whole bunch of things here including i i guess her literacy or somebody helping her right meaning if everybody knows that that's what's supposed to happen i don't know right, i don't think we have any way of not, knowing how often this would happen yeah like i i understand that with the case with the woman whose husband you know presumably died but here with a get i mean also wouldn't you assume you just want her to be able to move on and the idea going back to check a get and say the get is not good woman should have noticed the get was not good surprised that uh, I'm sorry you're right I was not responding to the right part um, yes I don't have an answer for that yeah it's like not giving her sort of this way that we're giving the woman specifically in the case with the presumed dead husband so the Gemara then goes on and has like five other cases that it's going uh, that it's going to get. Uh, again, there's another one that talks about that she should have read the get before. That's a case that Rava brings. Uh, uh, it, you know, so uh, so notice that 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 comes up. Uh, it, it it comes up in a few of these cases. Uh, that uh, in two other cases it comes up that it says that she should have actually read the get. Um, and so I think that that's also like it's a theme here. So the other cases are as follows. I'm a Rava Toshma. Katab sofer getli ish b'shoverli shah. It was the man, and then a receipt for the woman. 
But this get to the woman and the received man, right? Which is, you know, not what should have happened. And then they gave the documents to each other, right? So the woman remarried based on sort of this get that she had. So in other words, they each had the wrong documents. They thought they had the right documents. Right. Sometime later, the get leaves the hands of the man. And the receipt from the hands of the woman. She actually has to leave both her current husband and the previous husband. And again, she's again, we could say, what should she have done? And again, the answer is she should have read the get beforehand. In other words, it was on to the, it was up to the woman to make sure that she actually received the correct document. Actually, a mix-up with the documents themselves. Okay. Then they have another case again, right? Amaravashi Toshma, right? She it the scribe changed the name of the husband or the wife's name. This is a particular thing that we'll learn about when we learn the halachot of Gittin. The names have to be very, very correct. Shami Rova Shami Ra, the names of the cities, his city or her city. Again, she must leave if she remarried on the basis of that get and also her first husband. And again, all the penalties would apply to her. Again, we could say. And again, they say that no, she should have read the get. And then they bring this third, fourth case. Amaravina Toshma. If one married a woman on the basis of her divorce through a, what they call a, um, a bald get. So that is, this was a special type of get. Uh, like one or two lines were folded over into a blank space and then was sewn. And on the outside of each fold, different witnesses would sign. And you sort of threefold and three witnesses if this type of thing and this was a get that was designed by the rabbis basically to safeguard a, get a situation where there might have been sort of a very easily or a- angry Kohen who might want to divorce his wife and sort of like when he was angry and then decide that he didn't want to marry her because he can't remarry a divorcee even if it's own divorcee so the way the rabbis handled this is is that she the bound get, which took much, much longer to burn. The idea was that maybe he would calm down and decide not to actually divorce his wife. So if somebody married the basis of this get, she must leave this one and uh, she must leave uh, this and and that one. Because what we're talking about here is, is that uh, here it is, in other words, normally this type of get would require all of these signatures, right? But if if have enough of these signatures, it's called a get kareach, the bald get, and it really wasn't a bad. And she would have to leave her, uh, for, she would have to leave her second husband and wouldn't be able to return to her first husband. And again, the Gemara answers, you know, she, you know, uh, this concept of, uh, you know, uh, what could she have done? And again, it answers, 
should have read the guy. So there's something going on here. I don't have an answer. I think hopefully maybe this will be uncovered when we get to uh, Masachat Gittin, that for some reason, when it comes to, right, as you said, Anne, the Gemara very much wants to afford her the opportunity to remarry. When it comes to divorce, there is some uh, responsibility that is being put on a woman. Again, one that I don't completely understand because it assumes literacy and it assumes some working knowledge of the halachot so, of Gittin that it, it seems to be treated differently. Like we're not as enthusiastic to say, sure, you can move on because you got divorced. So I've been puzzling this over since, since I don't know, since you mentioned it, since I misunderstood or misspoke before. Um, I'm wondering, you know, I don't know that it means that she herself has to be literate. I think it means that she has to make sure that the get is checked right? So that she can have her handy dandy sofa do the checking for her. But it, but she can't be cavalier about the get. Uh, maybe that's an, uh, a good answer. But I, 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 but again, the language on the Gemara is interesting. It specifically says she should have read it. Right. What you're trying to say is, okay, it's not literally she should have read it. She has to make sure somebody else reads it. But again, that is a responsibility on a woman who I can't imagine most women had a lot of knowledge of how the bait scene worked. But but maybe I'm wrong about that. That that's sort of some of my assumptions. Certainly nowadays people today. do not. Certainly right. nowadays, nowadays people only know we're if much more and we're much more literate and have much more access to education. So it would be surprising to me that it was better then. But maybe I'm I'm making a completely erroneous assumption. Let's hope we. I, I I trust and hope that we will you know answer this over the course of the rest of the masechta the deal. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend E. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff and our talking time on Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.